Calvary Chapel. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? I, I love worshiping uh, the Lord with you. Did you have a wonderful time worshiping? By, by the way, Isaac, he not only plays on uh, Sundays, the last two Sundays, but also on Wednesday nights as well. And my son was on the drums. That was really cool. <clears throat> Uh, we're, we're in a study, a, a four-week study of the five-chapter book of 1 Peter. Uh, today we get to start in 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, uh, verse uh, 4. And, and it's one of those books that, especially if you're, you know, um, more inclined toward the writings of Paul, if you will, or, or maybe the Gospels, or, or maybe certain parts of the Scriptures, uh, Peter is writing this very short section, only eight chapters, 1 Peter and then 2 Peter as he's going through. We, we learned the theme of this book last week, and it's Christian maturity in an immature world. A Christian maturity in an immature world. And you probably see that all the time, whether it's on Twitter or, or YouTube or, or various uh, media profiles that something happens to them in their life that they don't like, and what do they do? Yeah, they rant and they rave and and, and go against everything. We're in a section here that one is is one of those topics that most churches never talk about. Uh, the title for this sermon today, underneath that topic of Christian maturity is the superiority of uh, submission. What does it truly mean to submit? You see, uh, Peter will talk about submission more than any other book in the Bible. First uh, Peter mentions the word submission seven times. And I, I warned you last week. I, I warned you last, not, not just because it's going to be hot, okay? It's 112 degrees. You guys just, you know, uh, most people take vacations in July. You know, they go to, you know, cool places. Uh, but you're here in 112 degree heat today, okay? It, it, you didn't, I know um, that you're here for something better. But the other warning is the topic that we're going to be talking about today. In fact, every single week, it's going to get harder more challenging, more difficult as we go through the book of 1 Peter. Last week, we, we had the privilege of, of seeing not only the, you know, the privilege of, of uh, Christian maturity, but the prognosis of Christian maturity was the topic last week. And if you weren't there, you can always uh, look up uh, the uh, lesson from last week. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, we, we get the theme of the book, and this is also the theme of this lesson this morning. Verse 21, it says this, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. 
who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so, Father, uh, this morning as we approach this amazing uh, topic, uh, that, that leaves uh, no person unscathed. That, that points to us, not to someone else. That this reflection, this mirror of your word, that we would look at it today and, and Lord, ask you to reveal our shortcomings. Lord, please forgive us when we say, well, that person should be here now listening to this. Lord, help us to see ourselves, our faults. Our sins, our problems, Lord. So, Lord, even this morning, we, we thank you so much for the many people that are behind the scene. Lord, I thank you for those men in the back that just make sure that the broadcast goes forth, that, that your word is, is clearly um, uh, uh, pronounced, Lord. I ask that you would just help us to focus upon you today that our desire would be for you, that we would have listening ears, a heart that is pliable, a mind that's willing to change, Lord. And so, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I ask that you just help us to focus upon you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, amen and amen. Uh, we've been going through First Peter, and we've been also uh, seeing a, a character study of Peter himself as well. And Peter, of course, he could be, you know, on fire for the Lord one second and, and you know, putting his foot, making a mistake the very next second, it, literally. In fact, one of those times that we, we learn about Peter is in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 16. And, and Jesus had asked a question of his disciples and you know some of them had a a, a response you're a, you're a, you're a good teacher or or you're a you know a, a prophet or or some say this some say that but peter in in his amazing way and of course this is not peter's own wisdom but the holy spirit revealing this to him in matthew 16 16 he says simon peter answered and said you are the christ the son of the living god Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was uh, Jesus uh, the Christ. What an amazing compliment from Jesus Christ himself to Simon Peter. That, that upon your faith, upon that statement that you just uh, made, that the very church will be built upon. The privilege that we have to go to church. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began showing to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, 
and be killed and be raised on the third uh, day. And then Peter, in the very next verse, puts his foot in his mouth, says this statement that causes not only from the previous verse uh, an about face, if you will. You see, what did he say when you are the Christ, the son of the living God? What does that truly mean? And Jesus brought that out, by the way. There's, there's an a understanding of submission. If Jesus is truly my Lord, my Savior, who do I submit to? But aren't we good at telling God what to do? Which, by the way, is the opposite of submission. You see, and that's what Peter does. Just two verses after he makes that amazing statement, he's now going to tell Jesus what to do. And, and, of course, there's a good intention behind this. He, he, he doesn't want to lose his friend. Verse 22, he says this, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, wow. What, what does ego do? You're, you're built up by someone, and then, then now you think you have the right to tell them what to do? And th this is Peter, by the way. Okay, the author of 1 Peter, the author of this book that we're going through. And, and, and the reason why I'm, I'm, you know, making sure that we understand Peter's life is because when he addresses this topic of submission, he comes from a position of failure, as all of us do. He, he comes from a position when he was younger of immaturity coming himself to understanding what true submission means. Because what does he do to Jesus Christ? What, what does he do to the one that he just called God? Deity, incarnate, Emmanuel, here on the earth. P putting his hands on his shoulder and, and, you know, and I don't know how he did it. You know, you can kind of read between the lines, but in a a smug way, rebuking, as the Bible says, the one whom he just called God, the one whom he just called Lord, the one whom he just called, you know, the creator of all things. Look at what he says. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. There's a, there's a better way. There, there's another way. There, there has to be another way. By the way, this plan was from the very beginning before time began. Not, not, not after sin, not after Adam and Eve, but even before sin began. God had already had a plan in place. And of course, Jesus was there. Verse 23, but he turned and said to Jesus, or to Peter, this is Jesus turning to Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. So Peter understood that submission is a very, very difficult thing. We all have problems with submission. Submission is one of those topics that most pastors leave for the visiting pastor. You know that, right? There, there's two topics. There's two topics like that. The first one is tithing. Now, I, I've been to this church for about 16 years now. 
and I've heard the pastor speak on tithing two times, okay? If you come on Wednesday nights in a month, we're going to be in the book of Malachi, and if you really want to learn about tithing, you come then, okay, please? Because I get to go really, really in-depth on Wednesday nights on, on tithing, okay? It's one of those topics that, you know, unless you come from a, you know, a solid biblical church, and I know some of you guys have come from churches where they abuse that topic, where they actually ask for your W-2 or your pay stub or something like that and, and demand that you give a certain portion of your money. I, I've heard stories. I'm not making this up, okay? It's horrible. But, but the privilege of going to this church is, you know, the, the pastor is, is very um, mindful of those things. But if you want to be blessed, if you want to obey the Lord, if you want to submit to the Lord, it starts with, you know, your wallet. The other topic, of course, is submission. And again, this is a topic that divides churches. This is a topic that most people don't want to hear about. I warned you last week and you still came, so it's okay. I know every one of you agree with it, okay? Non-disclosure, right? It continues on there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, where we picked left off last uh, week, and again, you know, five chapters in four weeks. So we're kind of, you know, going through these various chapters fairly uh, quickly. In verse four of chapter two, it says, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by man, but chosen by God and precious. How precious is Jesus Christ? How precious is his blood? You also are living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through whom? Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Remember what Jesus had just said to Peter in the previous section in the book of Matthew. Upon this what? Rock. And Peter's using a, a very similar word. Peter's name in the Greek means Petra. This term for not only a, a rock, but a rock that is being built upon. Peter's faith was being built upon by the church, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, the, the chief Petra, if you will, the chief shepherd, the chief overseer is the one upon we build our faith too. Look at what it describes there, though, in verse 7. Does er, do everybody accept that truth? That it's Jesus Christ that I build my life upon. Does everybody accept that? Unfortunately, no. Verse 7, therefore, to you who believe he is precious, to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a rock of stumbling or a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You see, if, if Jesus is your Lord, your Savior, he's precious. But what happens when 
people disobey. What is he like? A stumbling block. People trip over him. And you see the offense in the world all the time. The Bible warns us of that, of course. It's not us that they're being offended at. It's the word of God. It's Jesus Christ. Oh, you can have your religion, just don't, you know, proselytize us or preach to us or talk to us about Jesus, right? Because it's offensive. The, the truth is offensive to an immature world. It continues on there. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you, one of my favorite authors and the favorite preachers and uh, I've ever come across is a, a guy by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he says, in one of his sermons, it's an amazing sermon, it, 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 he says, thank God for the butts in the Bible. Aren't you glad that there's butts in the Bible? Because what, what is this? You know, the, the, the immature world that we, we uh, know, that we see all around us is offended. They trip over Jesus Christ. But you, but you, there's a distinction between a, a, a mature Christian, a Christian who's following after the word of God and the immature world, the sinful world. But you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that amazingly beautiful? The title for obedience, for submission. Every single title that we're going to see that's under this heading of submission always points to more beauty. It, it always points to more privilege. It always points to a life of understanding who I submit to. It's the creator of the universe, the one that designed our soul. The one that designed you, by the way. Verse 10, who once were not a people, but are now a people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. In some of your Bibles, that might be uh, italicized. This is actually a quotation from the Old Testament. If you were here on Wednesday nights when we started our study on the Minor Prophets, the very first of the Minor Prophets is a book of Hosea, one of the most romantic books in the entire Bible. More romantic even than Song of Solomon, by the way. It talks about a, a man by the name of Hosea, who, whose name, by the way, means salvation, the same exact definition as Jesus Christ himself, who, who has a wife, who marries a wife that he knows is going to be a prostitute, who's going to be unfaithful to him. And, and his example is, is you know, being uh, the example of God to the people of Israel, Israel themselves, going after the other idols, going after other gods, being unfaithful to the one who is faithful to them. And after she has, you know, gone after all the men, all, all these other people in the town, and, and he has to go and he has to buy her back. He has to woo her back. 
It's the perfect picture of salvation. And he writes one of the most amazing love poems in the entire Bible in Hosea chapter 2. I just want to read three of the verses for you. And this is what Peter is quoting from, by the way. Understanding what it means to fail, be someone himself who is unfaithful and God chases after him. Rather than reject him, chases after Peter. Hosea chapter 2, verse 21, it says this, again, quoting from uh, Hosea, it shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens and, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, with oil. Uh, they shall answer Jezreel. And then I will sow her for myself in the earth and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. By the way, this is referring to the Gentiles, those that do not have a single drop of Jewish blood, us. Do, do you understand that the death of Jesus Christ on that cross, what that meant? It wasn't just for a single people group. It wasn't just for a, a certain nation. It wasn't just for a certain, you know, uh, uh, skin type or, or personality or whatever it is, a certain language. It was for the world. Those that were not chosen are now chosen. Though those that were not the people of God are now the people of God. How beautiful is that? And Peter is quoting from that phrase. In fact, if you look at this, and you can actually uh, hear the, the sermon on this, all, all three of these references, uh, Jezreel, uh, not my mercy, and, and not my people, are all the references to Hosea's children the definitions of their name. His very family life depicts the unfaithfulness of Israel and the faithfulness of God. And this is the topic that we now get to start here in 1 Peter, because as we understand it, this is a hard topic of submission. But when I understand where it's coming from, the very heart of God, that it's always meant to build us up. It's always meant to bring us back to a place of dependency upon God himself. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it continues on there. Beloved, I beg you, this is Peter himself writing this, I, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conduct honorably among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Are there always critics? Are there always critics that call you up or, or you know, say horrific things about you? You know, there's a better defender than ourselves. There's a, a better defender than us, you know, saying, well, you know, remember that or remember that, what I did for you in the past. And it's fresh wounds. It's happened to me even this week. Don't bring up the, the past, okay? Don't bring up what you did. 
Because there's one that remembers better than that person. God sees every single thing that you do in His name. It's going to be pronounced publicly for everybody here. It's the privilege of understanding who keeps a record. Don't, don't do it for someone in a, a Christian leadership position. Don't, don't, don't do it to be seen by a pastor. Don't, don't do it to be seen by someone who's going to give you that attaboy or, or you know, give you that clap. Do it for the Lord. You see, Peter understood this. And of course, he's now in his older you know, age. Of course, maturity has, has been a, a long process in his life. And he uses these specific titles, these specific terms on purpose. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are his own special. Do you understand how precious it is when God compliments? When God sees? Every single person in the, the scriptures that was a, a man of God or a woman of God, they didn't do it for the world. They didn't do it to be seen by men. They did what they did in order to be seen by God. So there's five points to submission. The first point is submission understands who is actually in authority. Submission actually understands who's in authority. Because there's going to be multiple topics here. And, and by the way, you know, the first one's going to seem hard. But that's the easiest one. It gets harder and harder every single time you go through the list. The, the, the first one here is submission to the government. It's a hot topic for today, right? You know, it, it's really easy to see what, whatever news channel you watch or whatever person you follow, that everybody has an opinion about the government, right? And they're willing to spew out their opinion. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, we read this, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. This is Paul, by the way, in agreement with Peter. This isn't just a topic that Peter brings out, you know. And Peter hated the Roman government, by the way. This is a church that has been dispersed, as we learned last week. This is the diaspora. These are people that are sojourners and pilgrims. They've been scattered because of the treatment of the government. This was a time when a guy by the name of Nero was on the Roman throne and was lighting Christians as torches in his garden. Was putting Christians to death. And, and Peter and Paul in agreement are saying, uh, be subject to the governing authorities. How can that ever be? How can that ever be? We have it easy compared to that, by the way. You see, 1 Peter was written in about 62, 63 uh, BC. Paul is also writing in the book of Romans to the authorities at his time as well, to the, the Romans. 
to the Roman government. It continues on there in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Submission understands who is actually in authority. Who raises up governments and puts them down? If you really believe the Bible, if you really understand the Bible, you know that it is God. In fact, the Bible history itself is, is Jesus' story, his story, showing how governments come and governments fall because of who God is. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Peter also addresses this topic of submission to government. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Not, not for your sake, not for the government's sake, not, not because you're trying to appease someone, but why do we submit? And this is the, this is the important uh, point that you must understand for every single one of these topics. Who are you actually submitting to when you submit to government authority? It's God, the Lord, because who put them there? Who actually gave them their authority? Whether it's to the king or supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good, for this is the will of God. Wow. What's the will of God? Says it right there. Just says it right there. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. We call them all the time on the news. We call them all the time in the debates. They're just a bunch of fools, right? What's the best way to put them to shame? Obedience to the Lord. Submission to the Lord. In fact, every single one of these topics, it, it, it describes it in an amazing way that we win without a word. We, we, we have victory through our actions in Jesus Christ. Now, our, our good actions, our, our good deeds for the Lord don't save us. We are saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ, 100% by grace, 100%. But after we become saved, we show our salvation. We, we show our salvation with fruit. We show our salvation with good deeds that we do in the name of the Lord. And this is what Peter himself is saying, as free yet not using liberty as a, a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brethren, fear God, honor the king. And by the way, the king at this time is Nero. Wow. That, that, that's extremely hard. And this is, this is Peter, okay? This is the guy who wanted to rebel against the Roman government when Jesus was here on the earth. He, he wanted to overthrow the Roman government. And, and now he's, you know, as an older statesman, as an elder in the church, now training the next generation is, is saying, I've learned a better way. I'm going to submit to the Lord. You see, this is a, a, a Greek a military term, this, this word uh, submission here. It's to arrange in, in troop divisions in a military fashion, 
under the command of a leader and in a non-military use, it's a voluntary attitude of giving in. A, a voluntary attitude of, of cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. And carrying a burden. What is it like to have to submit to someone? They're going to get the praise. You're not. You're just going to do it for them. You're going to carry the burden. You're going to get. You have to do the hard work. We, we've all been there. And by the way, you know, most of us in terms of the government, thank God we, we live in Bakersfield. Thank God we live in Kern County. There's uh, many good, uh, godly leaders in our community. We always have to look at the positive. Of course, we live in California too, which is the opposite, okay? But, but the privilege that we have is understanding that there's been people that have been put into certain positions on purpose. And who put them there? Jesus Christ. First topic, submit the government. But there's a, a caveat to that. Because many times we misunderstand submission. It's considered a bad word. But submission does not mean having to obey everything. Submission does not mean having to obey everything. In fact, again, Peter referring to Peter in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 through 20. This is Peter and John after they've been taken to the authorities, the, the Jewish leadership in this instance. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you be the judge. Okay? Should we listen to you or should we listen to God? For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. I'm just obeying what God told me to do. And God's authority always trumps human authority. God's authority always is superior to earthly authority in every single one of these topics. Government, employers, family, every topic. God's authority always is superior. And understanding who we actually submitting to. Submission does not mean leaving your brain at the altar. Just blindly following someone. By the way, when we get to the very last chapter, in chapter 5, we'll be talking about religious authority. But this is specifically, in, in this instance, to political authority or, or earthly authority. Understanding that, yes, there's times when I have to understand that that person was placed there because God allowed it. We don't see the full picture. We don't see, you know, why God allows certain things. But there's another understanding to this, and in referring again to verse 15 there, submission does not put the will of men over the will of God. We, we never put man's will over God's will. And then the other point underneath this submission to government, submission puts the fear of God over the fear of man. And Peter understood this very, very well, as, long, as well as Paul, too. Because what does Peter understand? Because for Peter, submission is going to mean death. 
For Peter, submission means suffering. For Peter, it means coming to the understanding that he's going to die a martyr's death because of his submission to the one who is greater. The second topic, and by the way, you know, each and every single one of these topics is going to get harder and harder. First, it's submitting to the government. Second is submitting to masters or employers. And all of us, you know, have had certain jobs where, you know, our employer, you know, can cause problems in our lives. We may not always agree with the person that employs us. We may not always agree with the person who is, you know, in charge of our paycheck, if you will. But for Peter, this actual word here doesn't just mean employer. It means master. In fact, look what it says here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. We all love good employers, right? They, they go above and beyond to, you know, benefit their employees. But what about the person that is self-seeking, that's harsh, as, as Peter says? See, this word servant doesn't just mean employee. It means slave. It's a person who is actually taken and put into a position of slavery, and much of the church at this time was made of slaves. was made of people that had to serve other people because of their position. This was a, a, a government that advocated slavery. The Roman government was made up of, of slaves that they could buy and sell. It's appalling, we all know that. But Peter is working in this environment of a person who is blasphemous against God, sitting on the throne, and a government that supports this. In fact, look at what it says. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God, who is the ultimate employer. Who am I actually working for? Who? God. And again, who sees what we do? How we treat other people. Just a caveat underneath this subheading of of submission to masters is submission is never inferior. Never. There's a position. Submission is never inferior. When I have to submit to someone, it doesn't mean that I'm inferior to them. And thank God, by the way. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 to 29, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is either ne neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, who sees us the same. 
no matter our, our skin type, no matter our language, no matter our gender, no matter who we are in terms of our position in life, our, our, our you know, bank account, who sees us the same? It's God. But there's position. Galatians continues on there. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, an heir according to that promise, those amazing titles, chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special people. In the eyes of Christ, you are more. You are not inferior. God, God, God sees you as already seated in the heavenly. He sees you as his special children. And if you're a child of the king, what does that make? Royalty. Royalty. Submission to government. Submission to masters or employers. And again, I, I warned you, submission wins souls. Submission wins souls. We read this at the beginning in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. It says, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? Or when you do good and suffer, you take it patiently? This is commendable before God. This is what Jesus did. Because he had not a single sin, not a single fault, not a single failure, and yet he suffered. For who? For you and for me. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. That, that question that I, I challenged you with last week, what would Jesus do? It, it, it's a, a privilege to walk in the steps of Jesus Christ. You see, what does it continue to say? Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. He was perfect, and yet he was reviled. He was perfect, and yet he was beaten. He was perfect, and yet he submitted to the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who's actually in authority. Who, who was in charge? God. This was the plan of God. Why? So that we might benefit. So that we might have the, what we call the great exchange, my, my sins for his righteousness, his righteousness for my sins. That's exactly what it says there in verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. What is the greatest thing that Jesus Christ has taken away from us, our sins? None of which one of those sins could I ever pay for, let alone all of them. And Jesus Christ not only paid for your sins, my sins, but as we learn in the scriptures, for the world as well. Thank God for that. 
Verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our soul. Jesus won our souls through submitting to the will of God. Through submitting to the will of God. And if we're called to be imitators of that, if we're called to be imitators of Jesus Christ, if we're, we're actually called Christians, a, a follower of Christ, a, 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 a little Christ in this world, who are we supposed to emulate? Jesus. We're supposed to be imitators of his submission, of who he is. First Peter chapter 3, I, I warned you, gets gets harder. Submission wins without a word. Submission wins without a single word. This is one of the most beautiful sections in the entire Bible. That this is one of those sections that unfortunately divides churches. Oh, okay, I understand submission to the government. I understand submission to employers, but don't go into my house. Don't go into my family. What does it mean? And again, you have to understand the points. Submission is never inferior, okay? Submission understands who I'm actually under. It's, it's God. And, and now we're going into the home where, where, you know, Peter himself, understanding what it's like to be married. He himself was married. Most people don't know that, but he was. He had a, he had a mother-in-law. So if he had a mother-in-law, what does that mean? Every one of us know that. He had a wife, right? This is Peter, the one whom Jesus went to his house and healed his mother-in-law, by the way. The understanding of what it means that, I, yes, I have to be submissive to the government. I have to be submissive to my employers. But now, you know, Jesus Christ is going straight to the family. And it's hard. It's hard. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. That word own is very, very important, okay? Not to other husbands, to your own husband. That even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. There's power in submission. To, to, to win without a single word, that's exactly what the Bible says. In fact, every single time the family is spoken about in the Bible, and of course, Peter, he, he's speaking here, but also Paul himself as well, they always mention wives first. You know why? Because they can do it. The husband's always mentioned second or last, okay? And of course, being an author, being a, a husband himself, he understands the trials, the problems that come in a marriage. I just had the privilege of going to a, a bachelor party last night. Anthony had his bachelor party. Kevin, you know, threw this amazing bachelor party last night. And there was godly men. And the very first thing we did was we prayed for, you know, Anthony. Because when does the real counseling start? Not before the marriage. After the marriage, right? When, when do the, you know, trials actually start? Staff, right? Any of you that have been married know this, or are married, you know this. 
Love what it says in verse 2. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward. It doesn't say only inside. It doesn't say only inward. It says, uh, you know, just, you know, this caveat, if you will, not merely outward. Yes, there's an outward component. Thank God for that. But, but what should be the emphasis? What should be the emphasis? It's the inward person, right? Look, look at how it describes this. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, or, or putting on fine apparel. Yes, there was advertisements 2,000 years ago advertising certain things, right? You know, the latest, you know, uh, perfume, the, the latest trend, the latest, you know, clothing, fashion. No, no time is um, without fault. Peter's time, they had those, you know, um, those, those um, you know, trying to get people to do things. Advertisement. But what's the emphasis, verse 4? Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Who am I actually looking to, to get not only the approval from, but also the privilege of knowing that I'm a daughter of the king? Who sees your inward heart? I, I don't know if you're divorced or if you've never been married or if you're married now and, and you know, and no one has a, a perfect marriage. Every marriage has problems. But when I try to appease my spouse, there will always be problems. When I, when I try to get my approval from my wife or my, my husband rather than the Lord, they will always fall short. Always. Because they're not perfect, just like you. They're not perfect. You, you may not believe this. You may not believe this, but Emily and I argue all the time. It's true. It's 100% true. We argue over the dishes all the time. Uh, I, Emily has literally pushed me out of the way. I am not, I, you can confirm this, she's at work right now, but, but you can confirm this, okay? We argue over the dishes all the time. She says, you know, let me do the dishes. I say, let me do the dishes. And we argue over who should do the dishes. You have those arguments too, right? M maybe just Emily has trained me better, I don't know. And, and, and you know, she submits to me and lets me do the dishes, right? Not all the time, by the way. But, but you understand that all marriages have problems. Because we're people. We're sinful people. But when I, when I look to serve the Lord, when I try to get my approval from the Lord, rather than a, you know, a person or a spouse, my perspective changed. And, and by the way, these are women married to non-Christian men. 
These are women, and, and you know, I, I grew up in churches where, you know, most of the congregation was women. Thank God I go to a different church now where you go to the men's group or you, you come to a church, and it's amazing. Just in the house. Men just willing to serve. Men wanting to grow closer to the Lord. Yes, they've made mistakes in the past, but they're, they're growing in their faith. But, but these women here, they're, they're married to non-Christian husbands, and Peter is telling them, uh, win them without a word. Because submission always wins without a word. Love this. Verse 5, for in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. You see, the conduct of a godly wife is more powerful than the most eloquent sermon of the greatest preacher on the planet. This is the power of submission. They, they win without a single word. Wow. It's the power of understanding who am I actually submitting to. Now, again, there, there's some caveats because, again, we misunderstand submission. Submission is not subservience. Submission is not subhuman. Submission is not subordinate. Submission is not slavery. Submission is not violence or abuse or stupidity. That, that, that's not the definition of submission. Submission is strong, beautiful, humble, intelligent, complimentary, desires to win her husband, and yes, it's intentional. Because that's always the end goal. Even if your husband is a Christian, God wants the best for your husband and using you to do it. And again, if you're here, you know, maybe you are married and maybe, you know, your spouse isn't here and, and you wish that your spouse was here to hear this, don't have that attitude. Don't have that attitude. Because as we're going to learn in the last verse that we're going to read today, it applies to me too. It applies to me. The mirror of God's word applies to me. Not, not to someone else, but to you. The one who has the ears that are hearing right now. The one that's watching right now. Because God sees you as already beautiful, as precious. His chosen people. His, what, the ones that serve him faithfully. The ones that he's called to be a beautiful people. The people of God. First Peter chapter three, verse seven, husbands, of course, are not uh, left out. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding and giving honor to the wife as to the. And unfortunately, you know, in the New King James and other translations as well, it uses this word weaker vessel. It actually the, the word here is precious or more valuable vessel. It's the Ming vase. It's delicate, right? You know, you don't want people playing, you know, catch or a ball around that Ming vase. Because what would happen around that beautiful vase if it were to fall? Shatter, right? There's, there's value in uh, this beautiful vessel. There, there's value in this 
precious vessel. But what does Peter say? And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. There is an inherent discipline that happens in a marriage. It never says that the wife's prayers will be hindered. Whose prayers can be hindered because of their disobedience to the Lord? The husband. By the way, we look at ourselves, you know, I understand that sin separates me from God and my prayers aren't being answered. And so I, I, I examine my life. Is there anything that's hindering me from you right now, Lord? Is there any sin? Chief of those, chief of those is how you treat your wife. Because, you know, this is the only time in the whole entire scriptures that we see that there's a hindrance to our prayers with how we treat our wife, how we treat other people. Just some ending thoughts here. Humility is never too great to serve. Submission knows who is strong to carry. Submission paves the way for resisting the devil. And our ability to resist temptation is directly proportionate to our submission to God. Our ability to resist temptation is directly proportionate to our submission to God. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 5 through 11, we'll end it here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. Okay? Again, that imitation, that understanding, Jesus Christ submitted to God. I need to submit as well if I'm going to follow God. Okay? If I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, if I'm a follower of him, I'm going to submit as well. Have that same mind that was in you is also Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, who made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. What is that submission? And again, when he was reviled, when he was there being judged, he kept quiet. The lamb led to the slaughter. Therefore, God also highly exalted him, giving him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why do we submit? Why, why do we submit? To show a better example. To look like Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, again, I, I warn you about next week as well, because it, it's going to get a little bit more difficult as well. Every single week. But the privilege of going through a book like 1 Peter, walking through a, a book like 1 Peter, is to understand who is the one that I'm actually submitting to. It all comes down to that. If Jesus submitted, and if I want to follow who Jesus is, do I submit as well? Or do I want to just act like the world? 
an immature world, a world that goes their own way. And so the application for today is, are are you going to stay the same as when you first came in here today? Hopefully when you leave these, you know, uh, these doors, I know, thank, thank you for allowing me to go five minutes extra. I, I appreciate that. But, but the understanding is when you leave here today, are you just going to forget? You're going to actually apply what you learned today. And, and then the other application is just, just read one chapter of First Peter every day this week. There's only five. Okay, only five. Read everything and then ask the Lord, please reveal to me what I need to change, what what I need to change. Maybe it's like what we talked about last week, Christian maturity in in an immature world, the the prognosis of of maturity, what it looks like to be a mature Christian. Or or maybe today it's submission. Or or maybe next week or the next week after that. Whatever it is, Lord, speak to me. When you read this book. So Father this morning as we uh, go our separate ways. We come to an ending of this um, sermon Lord. That we would not let it end in this building. We would apply these things to our lives Lord. This topic makes us squirm in our seats. That this, this topic makes us. Uh, come to a place where we have to examine our heart because every single one of us, just as the author of, of the book of First Peter, he failed in this as well. We will fail in this too. So Lord, please forgive us for failing at submission. But we thank you for your word that reminds us continue to submit. Uh, knowing that we submit to one uh, who is better, knowing that I submit to one who is actually on the throne, who's in control, who, who sets up powers and authorities, who, who's there for us in our, our time of need, and then, then providing a way that is better than what we have, the example of the world, where I have to promote myself, where I, where I have to lift up myself, where, where I have to somehow make others look inferior or, or put down others in order for myself to look better. Lord, please forgive us when we imitate the world. And so, Lord, we thank you that you've called us to a higher purpose. You've called us to a, a better place. You, you've called us to be your people that are precious in your sight reach out to a lost and a dying world to have that example in our lives of victory winning, submission winning without even a single word just by our our actions that speak louder than words and then understanding that as we share who you are with those around us, they see our good works and point to the one who is God and give glory to you. Lord, I thank you for these, my friends. I ask that as we worship you this morning that our voices would have that desire to to praise you, that sweet-smelling aroma as we, we leave this place just wafting over us, infusing us with your joy, with that perfume of following after you. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless.